Well, turning your Bibles to Luke 19. Luke 19, we're continuing, of course, our study of the Gospel of Luke. And we're seeing that Jesus is presented, of course, in this Gospel as the perfect man, the Savior, the King. Last time we saw Jesus entering Jerusalem for the final time, offered himself as King. He came riding in, of course, on a donkey, fulfilling Zechariah 19, the King of Israel is coming. As he entered the city, of course, his disciples began to shout out, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. And he indeed is the Savior and the King. And, of course, we notice that the nation missed him. The religious leaders told Jesus to tell his followers to be quiet. And Jesus replied that even if they are silent, the rocks would cry out. Jesus was presented for that final time as the king. This morning we're going to see the last week of his life. This is the final week of ministry. This is before Jesus goes to the cross. He's going to be in the temple daily teaching, and that's where the confrontations begin. The religious leaders want to discredit Jesus. They don't. They. They. Uh, but of course, they're not able to do that. In fact, they end up looking foolish because of him. Two things stand out as we do our study. First of all, we're going to see the cleansing of the temple. This is the second time it happened. It happened at the very beginning of his ministry. We see that in John chapter two. This is of course Luke. Second time he's cleansed the temple. And then the second thing we'll look at this morning is the confrontation. Over over Jesus and his authority. They come to him basically saying, what gives you the right to cleanse the temple? What gives you the right to teach in the temple? And we'll see this confrontation of Jesus by the religious leaders. The goal, of course, is gain from the study, make application in our lives so that we can continue to grow as believers. Well, there, think about this. A number of things happen to us when we trust Jesus Christ as Savior. Think about it. We're changed. We become children of God. We are born again. We are new creations in Christ. God gives to us eternal life. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, and we become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And when you think about a temple, realize a temple is the place that God made His presence known among His people so that when we trust Jesus Christ as Savior, He comes to live inside of us. That's why we're called the temple of the Holy Spirit. God's desire is to dwell among His people. It's always been that way, going all the way back to Adam and Eve. He would come in the garden. We see that in the tabernacle in the wilderness that Moses made. Then at the time of Solomon, when they built the temple, God has always wanted to be with his people. At the time of Jesus Christ, Jesus goes into the temple in Jerusalem. What does he do? He cleanses the temple. Why? What's going on? The people are selling in the temple. Was this wrong? Was it okay for them to sell or not? I mean, what's, the, what's the deal? Well, we'll see it as we go through it. This morning, the beginning of the confrontation between Jesus and the religious leaders. The end result, of course, is that Jesus is going to be arrested, tried, and then he goes to the cross to pay for the sins of the entire world. As we study this section, of course, Jesus cleanses the temple and then teaches daily. Let me give you three, several things to think about, three big things as we go through this. We wanna, as we look through the passage, we want to understand the background and the history of the temple. Jesus goes in to cleanse the temple. I think it's important that we just know a little bit about the temple. Second, we'll see the authority of Jesus. He is the Son of God. They know that, and we'll see how they react to it. And then I want you to gain an understanding of the ministry of John the Baptist. The reason we do that is because Jesus raises the question. He says, was John's ministry, was it from God or from men? That's what his challenge to the religious leaders, and we'll see how all that fits together. Well, I, I think it all goes together as we see the authority of Jesus in the final week of his ministry as he heads to the cross. Well, let's begin. We have just seen one of the most famous events in the Bible, and that's the triumphal entry. Jesus entered Jerusalem for the last time with the offer that he indeed is the king. The religious leaders, as he came in, the people were shouting, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And remember, the religious leaders looked at Jesus and said, Would you tell your people to be quiet? 
They did not want it announced that Jesus was the king. As we study this morning, we'll see the cleansing of the temple, and we see the questioning of Jesus' authority. Let me give you the passage, because we're going to start at verse 45 and go on into chapter 20. First of all, part one is the cleansing of the temple. It's a famous passage. He goes in and drives out the sellers, and he teaches daily. We're going to see what happens. Why does he do that, and what's going on? Second part of the passage is the question of Jesus' authority. We're going to see the religious leaders come to him with really a couple of questions. We see what Jesus does as we continue. Jesus then raises a question to them about John. And, of course, how do the religious leaders answer it? They don't have an answer. They, they don't want to answer. Let's put it that way. And then we see that Jesus gives his answer to them. So as we go through this passage, there's a lot of good things there. It's a very powerful event showing the authority of Jesus Christ. Well, look at verse 45. We'll see Jesus goes into the temple. Verse 45. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling. Now, you can't tell this from the Gospel of Luke, but if you go to the Gospel of Matthew, one of the other Gospels as well, here's what happened. We saw last week. As Jesus came down the hill of the Mount of Olives, his people were shouting out, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna, which means save us, save us, son of David. They were shouting and everything. He got to a point and stopped, looked over at the city, Jerusalem, and wept over the city because he knew they were rejecting him. What we don't always see, but he went on into the city, went into the temple. The Gospel of Matthew says he went into the temple, looked around, left, went back out, went back up the hill, and went to Bethany and spent the night there. The next morning he gets up and he comes back down into the city and goes into the temple. This is where he is. Luke doesn't tell us that he went to the temple, went back to Bethany, and then comes back. This is actually the next day. So look what happens. It says, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling. He enters the temple and begins to run out these people. Who are these people? What were they selling? What were they doing? There were people in the temple. Now, I want you to understand that there was a wall. Basically, there was the, the, the wall around the temple. And you'd go in through the eastern gate. And you go into the temple area, and there was a big court, and then there was some other place, a big place for people to stay, and then you got closer and closer to the actual temple itself. In that area out there, people sold things. They sold animals. They switched money. Let me tell you what would happen. If you lived in Nazareth, which was 200 miles from Jerusalem, and you were going to go make a sacrifice in Jerusalem, some people actually took their little lamb, and they went 200 miles with their lamb. Some people said, I'm not going to take my lamb. I'll just get down there and I'll buy me a lamb when I get down there for my sacrifice. Well, when they got down there, they would go into the temple area and there were people selling these lambs. And let's just say a normal lamb was about five bucks. You get to the temple, you say, I'd like to get a lamb, and they go, eight ninety-five, please. And they'd go, well, that's a little bit high. He said, you want a lamb or don't you? You don't have a lamb, do you? You're going to need a lamb for the sacrifice, aren't you? So what they were doing is they knew people had these needs, and so they jacked the prices up. There was also, you had to have a certain coin to pay the temple tax with. Well, they didn't take just any coins, so sometimes you had to go in there and you had to swap your coins for the particular coin. Well, they charged you to do that, so they were making money off the people. And so it says Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling. What they were doing is they were charging people too much. They took advantage of the people, and they were doing business in the place of worship. You realize that the temple was not a place to buy and sell. You could buy and sell outside the temple. They could be selling the animals outside the temple if they wanted to, but what they were doing was doing it within it. So Jesus says, it says, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling. If you remember, Jesus' ministry was about three and a half years. 
He started when he was about 30. That's what the Gospel of Luke tells us when he was about 30 he started the ministry. John chapter 2 tells us that at the very beginning of his ministry, he goes into the temple, and these people are selling just like they're doing here, and he goes in, he takes a rope, he runs all the animals out, he turns over the tables, makes them all real mad, and he leaves. We find that three years later, three and a half years later, it's the same thing. This passage doesn't tell us what he did. It doesn't tell us he turned over tables or anything, but it says he began to drive out those who were selling. Now, you realize it's hard to stop people who make money off religion. It is. People make money off religion all the time. You, you see people, they'll say, if you want this, this CD, send us $14.95. We'll give you the, the copy of this message. It cost them, 30 second, it cost them about 30 cents to make that. But they're going to charge you $14.95. Or if you'll just send some money in, we'll send you this prayer cloth. See, it's people make money off religion. They do it all the time. They were doing it in Jesus' day. You need a lamb? $8.95. That's pretty high. Yep, that's what it is. And so Jesus didn't want that. And so what happened? Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling. He's gonna, it's hard to stop people from making money off religion. What does he say to them? Look at verse 46. Saying to them, it is written, and my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a robber's den. Now he says it is written. He's quoting scripture, and he's actually quoting from two different places. He's quoting Isaiah 56 verse 7 and Jeremiah chapter 7 verse 11. The first part when he says it is written, and my house shall be a house of prayer. That's Isaiah 56, verse 7. And then when he says, but you made it a robber's den, that's Jeremiah 7, verse 11. So what he does is he actually takes two passages of Scripture and kind of brings them together to make his point. He says, the, the, my house, the temple, is supposed to be a place of prayer and worship, but you've turned it into a place of making money where robbers take advantage of people. See, the purpose of the temple was the place that people would meet with God. God would come and make His presence known and they would come and worship and they would come to a place that they could pray and that they could meet. He says, my house shall be a house of prayer. When Solomon built the original temple, the first temple, they built it. He stood out in front of the temple on a platform above all the people and he got down on his knees and he prayed to God and what he said was this. He said, God, thank you for building this temple. We know we could never build it. You did it and all. And then he says, when we get into trouble... When we are about, if we will just turn toward this place and pray, will you hear our prayers? May you hear our prayers. See, the temple was supposed to be a place that they would come and they would worship and they would offer sacrifices and they would pray. It was supposed to be the place where they, where they met with God and where they talked to God, so to speak. And he says, my house is supposed to be a house of prayer, but what you've done is made it a den of robbers. You've, you've made it a place that people who do wrong can hide. Because that's what he's saying. A robber's den means a place they hide. And so they were coming into the temple and robbing the people and taking advantage of the people, hiding out in the temple, so to speak. And he says, you're not going to do that. And uh, so it's a very powerful statement. He's run them out and says, this is supposed to be a place of prayer. And you're taking advantage of the people. You're a bunch of robbers. Now, for just a second, I want you to think about the temple. Okay, because uh, when we read the Bible and we see Jesus would go into the temple and all that, what, what was this? Well, let's think back to the time of Moses. When Moses brought the nation of Israel out of Egypt, you remember they came out in the part of the Red Sea and they left and they went all the way to Mount Sinai and they got there and God gave them the Ten Commandments and then they broke them all so he gave them 613. And, you know, just to say if you're going to break the top ten, you have just 613. But then they, they gave them and they, they made a tabernacle, which was a tent. 
which had the Ark of the Covenant, and the tent was it was it was the thing that was movable, and they moved around and it stayed in the center of the camp, and it's where God would meet with his people. When Israel got into the land, about the time of David, they decided they were going to build, and I think we've got it right here. Uh, that David's son, Solomon, built the temple. See, David wanted to build the temple, and God said, no, no, you're not going to build the temple, but your, your son, Solomon, will build the temple. David looked out of his palace one morning, and he said, you know, I live in a big palace, and God lives in a tent. That doesn't sound right. I think I'm going to build God a big palace, a big temple. God sent word to him, not you, David, but Solomon. And Solomon built this temple, and it was unbelievably beautiful. In fact, it was considered one of the wonders of the world. People would come just to see the temple. It was huge. It was it was gold. I mean, it was just incredibly beautiful. And um, it was a place that they would worship. They would come. The Ark of the Covenant was in there. There was an outer room and the inner room. And then there was the place of sacrifice. All these courts, it was just incredible places for the priests to stay uh, things covered over in gold it was beautiful but the nation of Israel turned away from God and when they did God allowed the Babylonians to come in they came in in three different times 605 BC 598 BC and 585 BC and in 585 BC the Babylonians came into Jerusalem leveled the town and leveled the temple tore it to pieces took the gold melted it and took it with them and so they, the Jewish people were taken off into captivity for 70 years. And at the end of 70 years, they came back under a man by the name of Zerubbabel. It's found in the book of Ezra in the Bible. But Zerubbabel came back and they built a temple. And it was a little bitty temple. It was nothing compared to Solomon's temple. It was still the temple of God. It was still the place he was going to meet with his people. But it wasn't as big. It wasn't as elaborate. And some of the people who had been alive and saw the first temple, when they saw the second temple, it actually says they wept. They went, this is not a big temple. It doesn't look that good. But God sent word to him and said, listen, it's not how it looks. It's what it's used for. Well, some years passed, of course, and later on the Romans came in and took over. And by about 21 B.C., a man by the name of Herod the Great came, and he began to rule that part of the world. And in order to be and good with the people he was ruling, he was ruling over the Jews, he decided, since he loved to build things, he built a place called Masada, and he built some other things, he decided he would build onto the temple. And it took a number of years, but he built on that little temple, and he made it huge and big and elaborate. And this is the temple that was was standing at the time that Jesus. So the temple that Jesus went in and ran all these people out, most of the time people call that Herod's temple because he's the one that put all the money into it. Now, he was an evil man. He was a bad, bad man. He didn't love he didn't love the Jewish people. He acted like he did, but he didn't. He killed people. He was the one that he was the one that killed all the little boy babies when Jesus was born. That's the same man. He built this temple. And so this is the temple that Jesus went into. Now, what happened? Uh, by the way, let me tell you that it had an outer court. Let me just explain something to you. It had this outer court that you could go into called the Court of the Gentiles. Gentiles could actually come there. That's as far as they could go. There was another court closer on in called the Court of the Women, and the women could go there. Then there was another court a little closer in, which was called the Court of the Jews, or the Court of the Israelis, which the Jewish men could go in. And then there was a court on the inside, the closest one called the Court of the Priest, and that was where the priest who did all the sacrifice and stuff, they could go. So it was a huge place. But once again, the nation of Israel turned away from God, rejected the Messiah, and began to get into battles with the, with the Romans. And in the mid-60s, some 30 years after Jesus had died and rose again, war, the, what they call the War of the Jews happened, and there were more and more fighting. And in A.D. 70, Titus, the Roman general, came in with uh, basically 
He came into the city and destroyed it and destroyed the temple. And the temple has never been built back. If you go to Jerusalem today, if you go to the Mount of Olives and you stand on the Mount of Olives and you look across, you're not going to see a temple. You're going to see a Muslim mosque called the Dome of the Rock. Temple's gone. So you had the Temple of Solomon. You had Zerubbabel's temple. You had Herod's built temple. And one day in the future... After we are gone, the church, the body of Christ is gone, there's going to be a temple rebuilt by the Jewish people, and it's going to be during the time of the tribulation, and the Antichrist, the man who comes to power that claims to be God, who is an evil man, he actually goes into the temple in Jerusalem and puts his idol up in the temple and claims to be God. That happens during the time period called the tribulation. At the end of the tribulation, Jesus Christ comes back to this earth as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, destroys all of that, and sets up a kingdom and builds a temple in which he will rule from. And you can look, and I think we've got it in Ezekiel chapters 40 through 48, is the description of what we call the millennial temple. So there are a number of temples. There's one in the future, which is going to be the, we call it the Antichrist temple because he puts his idol up in it. And then there's going to be one in which Jesus Christ rules. So I just wanted you to have an understanding. The temple that Jesus goes into and says, my house shall be a house of prayer. You made it a robber's den. This is, in a sense, Herod's temple, the one that he had built on of Zerubbabel. This was a place that people were supposed to pray. It was supposed to be a place of worship. Now, here's what's amazing. Today, there is no temple in Jerusalem, but there is a temple In fact, there are a lot of temples because the Bible says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. When you believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, What do you not know? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you. So God dwells in you now. We are the temple in that sense. One day there'll be another one built back on the earth during the Antichrist time, and then there'll be one when Jesus comes on the earth during the Millennial Kingdom. We are to glorify God in our lives. We're the temple. Well, he says it's a den of thieves. So what did he do? He ran them out, and then notice verse 47. He was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priest and the scribes and the leading men among the people were trying to destroy him. Now, what did he decide to do? He stayed there teaching in the temple. So the final week of his life, he goes into Jerusalem and spends most of the days in the temple area teaching. And we're going to see what he taught in just a little bit. We'll see. If you get into chapter 20, he tells us the things he was teaching. He was teaching daily in the temple, but look at the contrast. Because he was giving out great information, but the chief priest and the scribes and the leading men among the people were trying to destroy him. They wanted to kill him. They hated him. He made them look bad. Let me tell you, when he taught, he taught with authority. He would teach, and people would go, whoa. And the religious leaders would teach, and people would go, what do you say? Who, what, is he, what does he mean? Who what does he know? And so bottom line is these religious leaders, they were offended. Jesus taught, and everybody just listened to what Jesus said. They taught, nobody listened to them because they didn't teach with authority because they taught the things of men, not the things of God. And that's the key. They had religion but not a relationship. And they couldn't stop him. They, they wanted him dead. They would do anything to stop him. But notice it says they could not, verse 48, they could not find anything that they might do. For all the people were hanging onto every word that he said. Jesus taught with authority. The religious leaders taught the words of men. Jesus taught the words of God. He taught with authority. There's a passage earlier, it's in another gospel, but it's a passage earlier in the ministry where the religious leader said, we want you to go. They had some soldiers. They had some what they call temple guards. They were Jewish soldiers. And they said, go up there, get Jesus, rest him, and bring him here. 
And so they went up there, and he was teaching, and, and they came back. And the religious leader said, where is he? And they said, nobody ever taught like that. They couldn't even arrest him because of his strong teaching. So he was amazing. The religious leaders hated him. The people were hanging on every word. Incredible. Well, we're going to see the confrontations. He's too popular. He makes them look bad. They can't stop him. And by the way, there is only one way to stop him, and they do it. They kill him. That's the only way. As we see these religious leaders coming to question Jesus, they think they can stop him. They think they can make him look bad. But the truth is, he makes them look bad. You know, you're going to see this. In fact, let me show you this there. We're going to see five confrontations coming in this section. We're just going to see the first one this morning. We're going to see Jesus where they question his authority. Next time, we're going to see this parable of the vineyard. Then we're going to see where they come to him raising and saying, should we pay taxes to Caesar? Then some of them are going to come and they're going to make fun of resurrection because they don't believe in resurrection. And they ask him a stupid question and he answers it for them. And then we see at the end where Jesus talks about the Christ being the son of David and how that fits. I want you to know they came up to him to ask him questions. And every time he made them look so foolish that they would look at the other people and say, whose idea was it to come up here and say this? I mean, don't, don't put me up there. That's what they're doing because he's so powerful and we'll see it as we go through it. One of the first aspects here is this. Go ahead and go to the next slide. The first of this confrontation is we're going to see his authority, Jesus and his authority to teach in the temple. That's what they want to know. What right does Jesus have to cleanse the temple? What right does he have to stay in the temple every day? What does he think he's doing? Well, let's see it. Look at chapter 20, verse 1. On one of the days while he was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priest and the scribes with the elders confronted him. Now, he's teaching, and by the way, it's ongoing. He's teaching in the temple, but we found out what things he's teaching. Notice there's two things that stand out. He is teaching the truths of the Bible, and he's proclaiming the good news message. Notice it says, he was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel. So he's doing two things. He's teaching the Bible, and he's proclaiming the good news message. And so when people would come to the temple, he would actually teach the Bible. He would probably most likely take the Old Testament, teach right through it. He did that over and over again. So he taught the Scripture. One of the things we're supposed to do is teach the Scripture. We're supposed to take the things that we've been taught and pass it on to others. And it's not just the pastor who is supposed to be the teacher of the Scripture. Every one of us are to know the Word of God and help pass it on to others. The second thing that he did is he taught the Gospel. He preached the good news message. The good news message is the death and resurrection of Christ, that He is the Messiah and the Savior, and whoever believes in Him has eternal life. We also have the same privilege. As Jesus taught the Gospel and proclaimed the Gospel, we're to proclaim the Gospel as well. And, you know, in my Sunday school class, we talked about being ready to share your faith and different ways of sharing our faith. And, you know, we have ways that we call bad news good news, and we have one called sin and salvation. We have one we call the bridge. You know, a very simple way to share your faith, and if you, even if you're not very confident, just John 3.16. Most everybody knows John 3.16. is probably a verse that you could quote. God so loved the world, that's us, that he gave his only begotten son to die on the cross, that whosoever anyone believes in him, puts their faith in Christ, will not perish, be separated from God, but have eternal life. You can very quickly and very easily share your faith just by John 3.16. And the gospel is that Jesus is the Savior, and whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Well, notice, one of the days while he was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, notice, chief priests, scribes, with the elders, confronted him. Now, here's three groups coming. Chief priests, they were the temple officials. They were powerful. They were usually of the Sadducee party. 
They were rich, and, and they were so important to the people that if they walked down the street, people would go, there, oh, there they are. They would get out of the, you know, they'd say, oh, there they are. They had these long, flowing robes. They tried to be important. When they'd go to the synagogue, they had the best seats. Whenever they gave money, they would go into a temple area where they gave money, and they would have people blow trumpets so everybody would look over at them, and then they would put their money in the jars. I mean, they were the important people. The second group there is the scribes. They were the teachers... Most of them were the Pharisees, some were the Sadducees, but they were the ones that you'd go to maybe with a Bible question or you'd say, what does God's Word say or what does the Scripture say? Most of the time they didn't teach the Bible, they taught the words of men. And then finally, elders were leaders of the people. And so notice it says, the chief priest, the scribes, with the elders, confronted him. They're coming to him to get him. They want to confront him. And what they're going to do is they're raising two questions, two points. Notice verse 2. And they spoke, saying to him, Tell us by what authority you are doing these things, or who is the one who gave you this authority? So the two big questions, by what authority are you doing this, and who gave you this authority? Now, when they say by what authority, they're saying this. Are you, are you coming with the authority as a prophet? Are you coming with the authority as a priest? Are you coming as authority as a king? That's what they're wanting to know. By what authority are you doing this? They don't think he's any of that. Second, when they say, by who? Who gave you this authority? They're either saying, was it from God or was it from men? Now, what they would think is this. They would say, he didn't have any authority. He's not a prophet, priest, or king. And he's not from God. But I want you to think about the authority that he came. By what authority? Prophet, priest, or king? Look at this. He was a prophet. He's the prophet of God. He speaks the word of God. He's the one that fulfilled Deuteronomy 18.15. He not only speaks the word of God, he is the word of God. He is the prophet of God. Second, he's a priest. He's the priest who offers himself as the final sacrifice for sin. He's the great high priest. And then finally, he's the king, the greater son of David to rule. He comes with the authority as a prophet, as a priest, and as a king. Now, they rejected it. The second is, by who authority? What, what authority gave him? To go to the next slide. He was sent. Who gave him this authority? God the Father did. What does he say over and over? He said, I didn't come to do my will. I came to do the will of the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father sent me to do this. And so it is God who so loved the world that he gave the Son. So when they ask him, by what authority and who gave you, Jesus could say, by what authority? I'm the prophet, the priest, and the king, and the Father sent me, the Son, into the world. That's what he could have answered, but he didn't. They said, by what authority and by who? And instead of answering that, he says, how about if I ask you a question? And what he's implying is this. I'm going to ask you a question. If you answer the question, I'll answer your question. So watch what he does. They said to him, verse 2, tell us by what authority you're doing these things, or who is the one who gave you the authority? Jesus answered and said to them, I will, ask, I will also ask you a question, and you tell me. So here's my question. You tell me, I'll tell you. Now, they already know they're in trouble. Because <laughs> any time they've ever talked to him and he's asked them questions, they turn around and go, okay, thank you, we're, we're going back over here. They don't know what to do because the questions that he asked, they can't answer. And by the way, this is not by themselves. The whole crowd is watching this. They've confronted Jesus in front of the whole crowd. We're going to see next week in verse 9, he began to tell the people a parable. So right in front of all this crowd of people, they come up and say, by what authority and who gave you this authority? And he goes, okay, let me ask you a question. You answer this question, I'll answer your question. 
all the people are just going, what is he going to say? So the religious leaders are caught again. They may not think it yet. They may think we're okay. We can answer just about anything he asks. Well, watch what he asks. Verse 4. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? What's he talking about? Well, when John the Baptist came, he came baptizing people, which means identification. He was identifying people with the Messiah. John was saying the Messiah and the King is on the earth. And John said Jesus of Nazareth is the Savior. He said he was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So the baptism of John was John said that he was a prophet of God and he pointed Jesus as the Savior. So Jesus asked them, was John's ministry, was he from God or was he from man? Now, once you think about it, all of a sudden they have to go, wait a minute, how are we going to answer this one? If we were to say that John was from God, then we're going to have to say Jesus is the Savior because that's what John said. John pointed Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So if we were to say John was from heaven, then Jesus is going to say, why don't you believe Then they thought, but what if we said, no, he's not from heaven. He said, all the people, all these people standing around here, they all think John was from God and that he was the great prophet. So if we say he's not from God, they will kill us. So then they look at each other and go, whose idea was it to ask him any of these questions to begin with, right? Look what happens. Verse 4, was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Well, how's they going to answer it? Well, they reasoned among themselves. And by the way, reason to mean they begin to discuss among themselves. You can see them saying, just just a minute. And they get over there and they go, what are we going to say? What are we going to do? What kind of question? Who? What? You ask him. No, you talk to him. I don't want to answer this question. And look what it was. They said, they reasoned among themselves, if we say he's from heaven, then he will say to us, why didn't you believe? If we say he's from heaven, from God, why did you not believe him? Why? Because what did John do? See, if we say he's from heaven, we'll have to say that Jesus is the Messiah. Because that's exactly what John said. So they're caught. They can't say that because then Jesus will say, oh, so you're saying you believe in me. And they say, no, no, we can't do that. We can't do that. So but, but, verse 6, but if we say from men, all the people will stone us to death. For they're convinced that John was a prophet. What are we going to do? If we say it's from men, the people will stone us. They'll kill us. They're caught. If they say from God, they have to say they believe in Jesus. If they say from men, the people will get upset and kill them. So here's what they do. They look back at him and they go, we don't know. We don't know. So they answered and they said they did not know where it came from. They do know. They know Jesus is from God. They know who he is. At the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, when a man by the name of Nicodemus, who was a member of the Sanhedrin, a ruler of the Jews, a very powerful man, he came to Jesus at night, John chapter 3, and he said to Jesus, We know, not I know, we know that you are from God because nobody can keep doing the miracles you're doing unless they're from God. They knew he was from God. They knew who he was. They rejected him because they didn't want anybody to take their position. They did not want Jesus to be the Messiah and the King. They did not want him to be their Savior. And so instead of being answered, because if they say from God, they have to say, well, we believe you're the Messiah. If they say from men, they're afraid the people will kill them. So all they can do is say, we don't know. And so what does Jesus do? And Jesus said to them, nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. See, by not telling him, he's already telling him his authority. 
He's got the authority not to tell them. He's God. He runs the things. He can go to the temple anytime he wants to. He can do whatever he wants to do. And they know it. And they can't stop him. Jesus challenged these religious leaders. They seek to challenge his authority to teach in the temple and to proclaim the gospel. But he stops them. What have we seen? This is just the first. Now we're going to see next week he gives this parable. Because if you look at verse 9, he turned to the crowd, to the people, and began to give this parable. It's about them. And then later on he's going to talk about uh, the whole idea of giving money to Caesar. Are you supposed to pay taxes or not? And see, they thought they had him there because if he said, don't pay your taxes, he's going against the Roman government. If he says, pay your taxes, he's going against the Jewish people. They thought they had him. But as you know, they can't get him. Another group comes up and talks about resurrection and has this, this woman's married to five, seven brothers and all of them are married to her at one time under the called the Leverett Law of Marriage and they all die. And then they say, who's going to be married to her in heaven? And in one of the other Gospels, Jesus says, you guys just don't know the Scripture, do you? Just don't know the Scripture? So we'll see what happens. Jesus cleanses the temple. We see His power. He teaches daily. And the religious leaders want to kill him. Religious leaders come to him to question his authority. And so he says, okay, I've got a question for you. Was John the Baptist, was he from God or was he from men? They can refuse to answer because they, they get in trouble either way. And so he says, well, I won't tell you my authority. Let me give you some applications as we close this morning. The first one is this. Gain an understanding of the temple. I mean, hey, know the history. I mean, get, get the idea of history of the Jewish people and the Jewish temple. Understand about Solomon building the temple and then the captivity and Jeroboam were coming back and then Herod building onto it. And look on into the scripture about the Antichrist and the temple and then even go into the, to the, to the book of Revelation and also to Ezekiel and see the millennial temple. It would be a good idea just to have an understanding of how these things fit so that when you see Jesus going into the temple, you understand when it was and... And what temple it was. B. Understand the purpose of the temple. It was a place that God would dwell among his people. It was a place of worship. It was a place of sacrifice. Realize what it was. And then C. Realize that today we are the temple of God. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. God lives inside of you. We offer ourselves as sacrifices and we gather with other believers to worship. So gain an understanding of the temple and the fact that we're the temple. Number two, and this is key, realize that Jesus has all authority. A, he cleansed the temple on earth. When he went into uh, to Jerusalem and he went into that place, he cleansed it out. He says, this is my house. It's supposed to be a place of prayer. You've made it something else. He is going to be the one who is going to die as the final sacrifice for sin forever. B, notice his authority because he, he proclaims the gospel message, the good news message. That's what he was doing in the temple, preaching the gospel. He declares the death and resurrection of the Messiah, that salvation is a gift by faith. I hope and pray that every one of you in this room, that you understand understand what the gospel message is, what the message of salvation is. Jesus died on the cross, paid for sin, and rose again. He offers the gift of eternal life. Anyone who believes in Him, who trusts in Him for salvation, has eternal life. It is that simple. It is not going to church. It is not being good. It is not works. It is not one thing we could ever do. It is taking the gift of eternal life. Just understand this. A gift is something given freely. If you have to do something for it, it's not a gift. God says salvation is a gift. And so you take the gift of eternal life simply by faith. He proclaims the good news. We get to proclaim the good news. See, he proclaims the truth of the word of God. He has all authority. We also get to proclaim the truth of God's word. The people were hanging on every word he spoke. That's amazing. What a teacher. Because he's God. There's one last thing I want you to think about. And that is this. Understand the ministry of John the Baptist. 
See, John pointed Jesus as the Lamb of God and the Savior. I want you to understand that he was a prophet, but he told people to believe in Jesus. And that's my prayer. And that, uh, and I mentioned it a while ago. But if there's any one of you in this room, if you have never trusted in Christ, if somebody were to say to you, if you were to die, would you go to heaven? Would you be with God forever? If you don't know for sure, I want you to understand that Jesus died for you on the cross and paid for sin, and he rose again. And if you will trust in him alone, if you'll believe in him, putting your faith in him as your Savior, he gives you eternal life. It's not your goodness or works. It's not going to church. It's not trying to live a good life. It's not trying to keep the commandments. It's none of that. It is simply faith alone in Christ alone. Take the Gospel of John. Read the Gospel of John. Ninety-eight places in the Gospel of John, it says you're saved by faith. It's that simple. May we realize that Jesus is the Savior. He has all authority. And that those of us who have trusted in Christ, may we also proclaim the gospel message and teach the truths of the Word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great passage. Thank you for these truths. Lord, may we understand about the temple and, and know the history and understand the purpose of the temple and how that today we are the temple of God because we put our faith in Christ. The Holy Spirit comes to live in us. Thank you that Jesus has all authority. Not only cleansed the temple on the earth, but he proclaimed the gospel and he taught the word of God. We have the privilege of doing the same thing. But Lord, thank you for the ministry of John the Baptist, pointing Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I hope and pray that everyone in this room has put their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and that they have eternal life as well. Thank you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.